Okay. Well, we are at uh, coming north towards the end of our Advent series, and of course, we're coming right up to Christmas. Uh, you know, ever since I was a little kid, Christmas seems like a really nice time of year, and I still feel that way. It's kind of nice. I hope I hope that most of you have memories of Christmas somewhere that are good, that, that you hold on to, that you appreciate, that don't bring you back to hard times in life. I hope at this moment when we're talking about it, that you're sort of thinking about the better times of Christmas for you. My memories are pretty, pretty positive around that for the most part. Um, but we have, we've done several messages here around Advent, this expectation of the Messiah coming. So we started out with a need for a Messiah, that there's a sin, this is a broken, messed up world, and we broke it and we need Jesus. We need a Savior. And Jesus hasn't been revealed yet as we're looking forward to that. Then we went and we said, well, what's the promise of the Messiah? And we showed how the scripture's been pre- presenting his location, his personality, who he was, what he would do as his address in history so that we could see it. And then last week, Katie talked about the hope of the Messiah, like this process of people getting excited about Jesus coming. They didn't maybe know his name specifically like that or that he would come as a baby or how it would work, but they, they were looking forward to this, this hope of the Messiah. And then today, we're going to look at the arrival of the Messiah, as you saw from what Chloe read to us with her fancy yellow pants. Nice job on those pants. Um, and uh, so Christmas Eve, celebration of the Messiah. And actually, we're going to make the Obi Joyful Advent move into the Sunday after Christmas, where we're going to look ahead to the next Advent of Christ. What does it mean that Christ is coming again? So it's not done. He's still at work, and things are happening in the spiritual and, uh, and incarnational, the flesh side of, this, of what Jesus is doing. So we're going to look forward to that the week after Christmas, next week. So uh, that's coming. So today, arrival of the Messiah. This is the aspect of, the, of Advent that we're going to talk about. So what I want to ask you to do is to take a real deep breath, and I want you just to settle in for a minute, and I want to invite you to come and see. So take, just relax, leave things behind, whatever is pressing Say, okay, I want to look at what the Word says and be invited into the presence of this tiny Messiah, okay? I'm inviting you to come into the presence of Jesus like the angels invited those shepherds to come into his presence. Wherever you are, if you've been someone who's celebrated Christmas your whole life, someone who's a Christian and has celebrated the Messiah for your whole life or for two years, 10 years, it doesn't matter. If you're skeptical, if you're wondering, I don't know about this, wherever you are about Jesus, I want to ask you to come and see. Come and see. So the passage that we read from this morning is one of the most spectacular, well-known things that happens in the Bible. All of us are probably familiar with it at some level, Uh, and I really believe that it deserves a return uh, of our return to it every year just to look at this announcement and invitation to meet the Messiah. And what I want to do is walk with you through a few points to show you how that, I think, uh, how this story unfolds and how special it is. It's really a beautiful thing. We're going to see the announcement. We're going to see an invitation. We're going to see an RSVP, and then we're going to see the 26th the day after. So, the announcement. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, 
Christmas comes to different people's houses in different ways. And when I was growing up, this is how we did it. We would get the, uh, the newspaper, and the newspaper was a TV guide. And the TV guide had three different shows. And when those three things, those three shows came together at a certain time, that was when Christmas season began. You know what they are. The Grinch, Frosty, and the night before, or the uh, Rudolph. What do they call it? What is that? What's that one called? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Anyway, I haven't watched that in a really long time, uh, apparently. I uh, probably should do that. But when all those things came together, that's when we started decorating and talking about it and things started to happen at my house. That's not how it happens now. In, in my home that I, I live in now, as soon as I wake up on the day after Thanksgiving, that is when Christmas starts. That is the beginning. So maybe that's the way it was for my family, but I tied it in to these Christmas shows that happen, and we all have those things. But this announcement, this beginning of this first Christmas season ever that happens with the angels was something that uh, was, it had these dichotomies in it that expressed to us an incredible beauty that is so easy to skip over unless we take some time and, and rest in the story just for a minute. Uh, here's, here's the core of what I want you to see in this first thing about the, this idea about the announcement is that the beauty of it is that it, show, it tells us that the invitation to, to gather around Jesus is for all people, is invitation to all people to know Jesus. And all people includes all of us. And I would hope that as we're thinking about this, that you would really try to make this personal. Make, it, make this message, this, these words, this narrative in the scripture very personal to you. Because I, when the angels speak about all people, I really believe it includes each one of us. So, one of the, there's two dichotomies I'm going to bring up to you. One is this, the angels and the shepherds. So the most triumphant, the most glorious, the most amazing birth announcement ever, as you know, is made by these angels of God to shepherds in the field. Now, this is not new information. You've heard people talk about this uh, for a long time. But just think about it with me. Let's just return to the story for a minute. These guys are the, the working class guys out doing the night shift on a cold night with a bunch of smelly animals, right? God speaks to them in this glory, makes this glorious announcement to these people. He doesn't go to some big event that's happening down in Jerusalem. He doesn't go to whoever the TV people were at the time, the journalists. He doesn't have you know, some kind of publication made that everybody can read or see, nothing like that. He doesn't go to the powerful people. He goes and makes this beautiful announcement to the least of the people, the poorest of the people, the most common of the people. I figure that the, these shepherds, looking back on this later in their lives, would just have been amazed that it was them that, that, was, that were invited to stand around this child, the Messiah. So in verse 10 of chapter 2, the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, like you right here, you shepherds, you guys, you night shift dudes in the middle of nowhere, 
good news of great joy for all the people. I'm bringing you the news for all the people. How would you have felt if you, literally, make it personal, were the only, there's like just a few of you invited to that thing? Like when you actually got to that manger scene, when you got to the the trough that the, the Messiah was in, and you looked around and it was just you and a couple other people. I mean, that's kind of what's happening anyway. There's this huge dichotomy of the angels and, and God. Instead of speaking and drawing in all of this huge crowd or anything, it's just a few. And it's the least. And uh, there's another dichotomy. And that's that they say that you're going to find a Messiah, this Messiah you've heard about, and you're going to find the Messiah in a manger, like in a garage, in the back of a house in Bethlehem. That's the address of the Messiah, right? Uh, So the dichotomy is that the angels say, you're going to find the Messiah, who they've been expecting because they've been trained as as Jewish children. And he is the one who's coming to rescue all men and all of the Jews, especially they were concerned about. But you're going to find him, number one, in Bethlehem, which they already knew and they were already confused by because Bethlehem was the eternal backwoods. Generation after generation, Bethlehem is the backwoods. And you're going to find him in a box, in a garage. Do you see how all of these things together, and there's more, I'm just bringing up two things, are so shocking and would have been so unusual for them to hear and experience. I did, we just can't, ever underestimate the beauty of what God's doing in the the disparity between these shepherds, the Messiah, the angels, the announcement, and all of this together in inviting them into that holy place. Uh, There's a a point later, I was actually reading this this morning, uh, and Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. It's right around Jesus' own baptism, and he says, I want you all to know there's no greater person among all people than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a pretty rough dude in the woods, right? You know that. And then he says this. Let me read it to you. I tell you, among those born of women, that's everybody, there is none greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is the incredible message that the gospel The good news is an invitation to everyone. So this should inform you how you feel about yourself, how I feel about myself. We talk about self-image a lot, and though some of us have really, really strong self-images, some of us don't. And those of us who have really strong ones are probably overcompensating. And the reality is, that this is information about your worth. And when you wonder, am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I acceptable? Am I successful? Am I wealthy enough? Do I have enough degrees after my name? Am I too broken? I'm too discouraged. I'm too useless. Nobody likes me. What, whatever the things are, that you, wherever you go, 
regardless of how you feel about yourself. What we have to know is that your distance from God, your perceived distance or your relative lack of standing before him is only relevant in your mind. Only relevant in the, peop- in the minds of the people who might judge you. It's not relevant in the mind of the one whose birth we're invited to celebrate. So we have this announcement, an incredible thing. Then we have this invitation. Those, uh, the angels say, you will find him. In other words, you need to get up and go find him. You will find him there, right? The Messiah in Bethlehem in a manger, okay? We've talked about that. So I want to jump forward. I want to put a, put a, a placeholder in that for just a second and jump forward just a second to, to see a similar invitation that happened when Jesus' ministry starts. And it's this beautiful parallel. I think you'll see it. So there's a correlation between the angels who are making this invitation to these shepherds, and they're saying, here's where the Messiah will be, and you'll be in this, it's going to be a very unusual place that you'll find him, but you'll find him. Well, when Jesus is 30 years old, roughly, he has made a friendship with a guy named Philip. And Philip's going to be one of his followers, one of his disciples. And Philip is excited about telling other people about Jesus and inviting them to know, to know him. So he reaches out to his friend, Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, you need to meet this guy, Jesus. He identifies Jesus as the Messiah, known by the prophets, which is exactly what the, uh, the, the, shepherd, the, uh, the angels do. And he tells them where he's from. Let me read it to you. This is John 1, 43 to 46. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said, follow me. And Philip was from the city of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, that's the region of Bethlehem, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything come from Bethlehem, from that region? And Philip said, come and see. An invitation to come and see the Messiah with the same address given. The same unlikely place. Both the prophetic information from from Moses and the prophets and the strange location of Bethlehem. In a place that no one with any strength, power, or capability in that community or that nation comes from Bethlehem. But here's the irony. Nathaniel, well, he would become one of Jesus' followers. Uh, And he says, uh, can anything good come from the region of, uh, of, uh, I mean, uh, Nazareth, thank you. You got all these towns in my head. You'd think I'd know that. It's like, when I was growing up, if you ever told me that Tampa Bay would be a great football team, I would have laughed in your face. Or the Patriots, you did, in the 70s, come on, it just wasn't going to happen, right? It was just common knowledge. That's what happens over there, and it doesn't compare to us because we're the Cowboys, right? No offense to all you people who are just Colorado natives, apologize. Here's the irony. Nathaniel was from Cana. That's where Jesus did his first miracle. 
and it's closer to Nazareth than Bethlehem is to Nazareth. So he says, can anything good come from there? Can anything good come from where I come from? As my friend Holden would say, it's just a few Ks away. He doesn't talk in terms of miles, only Ks. And so it's about, it's about 5K from, from Cana to Nazareth and more than 10 from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Nathaniel was disparaging himself. And you know what would be really interesting is later, if you read about Nathaniel and you look him up in the scripture, what you're going to find are passages that call him Nathaniel of Cana. They identified him with his lowliness. This is the beautiful dichotomy that I'm trying to get across. The beauty of this is that the Messiah called out by these angels to nobodies, brought around this child, Philip inviting Nathaniel, who was a nobody from nowhere, to be one of the disciples of the king of the universe walking with him. You and I. So, here's where they end up. Here's what Nathaniel discovers. That this child, just like the, just like the shepherds discovered, is worthy because he is good news of great joy to all people. Nathaniel, everyone from Cana, Nazareth, Bethlehem, here. So, announcement, an invitation, an RSVP. Well, there's not really an RSVP, but there was a way to accept the invitation. They said, you're going to find this child. And when we read ahead to see what they do, when they go, is it, uh, they're going to go expectantly. They're going to go expectantly to, the, to this manger, to this scene with this child in this family. Because we see in Luke 2 that they go uh, immediately, they hurry, and they go together. So they all, that's kind of what I'm expecting and hoping that we're going to do. Together, quickly, we're going to go and just get around the Messiah. In chapter 2, verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us, and they went with haste. They hurried. And I, I guess I want to encourage you, you know, as this week starts, go with haste to get around the Messiah, to spend time with him, to think about this story and what it means to you personally, to your family, to our town, to this church. Go together into that and sit with it. Meditate on it. Let it fill you. Let this story, let this narrative fill you, the truths that are contained there. You know, once they got there, uh, it had to be kind of funny because they start telling the story, right? If you read, it says they, they talked about what happened. And you can imagine them trying to get all the words out and tripping over each other. And, you know, this happened and these angels showed up and this, it was so loud and, you know, so-and-so fell over, you know, backward, and all this happened. And we ran here as fast as we could and the sheep are all still there. We're just hoping that they stay, Right? And, th- and that's how you know these guys are really not the greatest workers either because they just left their job, and, right? That's why they're working in the field in the middle of the night. But they get there, and with the family, they tell the story. 
and they talk about it. It's what we're doing right now. We're telling the story. We're talking about it. And it says Mary treasured all this stuff up. She like jotted it down. I don't know if she could write, but she was burning it into her mind so she could go back and remember it. And we should. We should revisit this story. And that's what we're doing. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you that this is the way God brought the Messiah to us? So the announcement, the invitation, the RSVP, which was to hurry up and get there. And finally, the 26th. Now, of course, you know, the calendar was different and the date of Jesus' birth that we traditionally remember. It is just a, a date. Uh, but the 26th is that thing that happens after Christmas ends officially, right? As a kid, I always hated that day, you know, because it was fun to play with the stuff that I got as a kid, but at the same time, there was always that one really awesome thing that was broken that you wanted to play with, but you couldn't. So it kind of ruined everything else. I really don't like the end of that. And I still don't like the end because all the, the things that have gone on to bring us to that moment, it's kind of just womp and the Christmas music sort of fades out and just gets back to normal life. And, uh, and it's good, but, you know, work is coming. And the shepherds, that night, apparently, and I'm, I'm sure you would think, because nobody would have wanted to stay behind. They're like, nah, I think I'll stay. You guys go ahead, right? They all get back. And they're gathering up the sheep. They're all back at work. They're running off. They're trying to, to get this thing back together so their boss doesn't find out what happened. Uh, it might have been a little bit of chaos. Um, but they experienced something really, really significant. And they reflect on that. And I think they continue to reflect on it for years to come. They must have. They experienced something that was an intersection. Think about this for a second. That was intellectual. It was spiritual and incarnational. So intellectual, spiritual, and in, in the flesh, like real. Intellectually, they may not have been well-educated. Their kids brought up as Jewish in the Jewish system, and so they knew about the Messiah. They knew what the angels were talking about. They knew about his family heritage, his birthplace. They knew a lot of things that would point them to the Messiah. And then they had this unexpected spiritual event where God just speaks into their life and wakes them up and they head off to see the real incarnational living Jesus, this child. All of those things came together for them. And I really believe for each of us that that's possible as we sincerely consider this narrative together. So I invited you to come and see, to experience that coming together, the, the things that you know about Jesus, the spiritual side of it, hopefully God's working in your heart uh, to see him physically, to experience what it is to really know him. I, I want to share a couple of passages with you. Uh, 1 Psalm 119, it says, Blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart. Here's Deuteronomy 4.29. You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs 8, 17. Those who seek me diligently will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek and find me. Seek me with your whole heart. So I hope that this simple invitation to go and see, to come and see, to stand around the Messiah, 
has the same effect that it had on those shepherds. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm hoping will come out of this for the rest of this week and then on the 26th and forward. At the end, it says that they glorified God for all they had heard and all they had seen, that that would be the result. And that's why we're going to have our crew come back up. We're going to sing one last chance this morning to glorify God. We've got communion out this morning. Tyler's going to lead us through that, which we'll do as part of that process. Um, may this church glorify God for all that we have heard and seen.